For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome to the Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Larry Hughes. And today we have special guest, Jared Jeffries. Jared was a McDonald's All-American, took Indiana to the national championship game as a sophomore, was Big Ten Player of the Year, the 11th pick in the 2002 draft, spent over a decade in the NBA, and obviously four years with our Washington Wizards. So, Jared, thanks for joining us. No problem at all, dude. Good to be here. So the NBA has announced uh, that they're going to do this horse tournament that'll start this Sunday night. The matchups will be Chauncey Billups against Zach Levine, Tamika Catchings versus Chris Paul, Mike Conley versus Paul Pierce, and Trey Young against Allie Quigley of the WNBA. Uh, I know this is something the NBA tried uh, in the All-Star, All-Star weekend a couple years ago. I, I literally don't even remember that, so it must not have gone that well. But, but what do you guys <laughs> think about this idea? Um. I think right now people are dying for content. I think they're dying for any kind of sports, just any kind of normality in their life. We'll see how it works, but I think right now people just want anything different than just replay content. Yeah, and and I'm a you know I'm, I'm a TV guy, so I'm I'm pretty much I'll watch anything at least one time. So, <laughs> so we'll have to see how, we'll have to see how it goes, man. And anything you know basketball related, uh, I'm I'm jumping right on that to to see what it's about, you know. You know, I, I was a veteran too. Maybe I could throw my hand in and give me a couple shots up in yeah, the horse like, there, man, just, like, just to have some fun with it. Yeah, and I mean, right now, anything that you can do to raise money for charity, raise awareness, get people off their couches, give give somebody something. I mean, people want their sports back. They want their their idols back, and that's so gone right now. It's just almost disappeared in, in the workplace. I mean. I find myself every night watching like games from when we played, like watching like replays where I know the outcome of the game, but just watching basketball because it's not there. Yeah, man, I, I was watching the game the other night, and I'm like, ah, oh, that was a bad pass. Like, <laughs> what, like, like, what do you mean? Like, okay, but you have to be in, the, you know, you have to be in that moment. I'm like, man, you got to catch that, you know, yeah. why you didn't make that shot? But it's like, like you know why you didn't make that shot? It already happened. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's something fun to do. It is for sure. Uh, so some of the stuff I read said that this didn't really pan out in, in All-Star Weekend because maybe guys didn't take it particularly seriously. So based on the folks they have here, it, it sounds like a group of, of people that would be willing to go all in on this and, and try to actively win it. So I think that probably helps the chances of it succeeding too. Yeah, and I think what we just talked about right now, especially they know how important it is. All-Star Weekend, it's no offense to everybody that's there. Like when you get to that weekend, there's so much going on. It's a whirlwind three days. You don't sleep. Your friends or family are there. You're going out at night, and you get to a horse tournament that maybe the fans aren't into it. They're there waiting for the three-point contest or the dunk contest, and you're like the opening act of a comedy show. So it's like it is hard. But I think now people understand how important it is. 
to give a good show to the audience to kind of promote your brand. Yeah, I mean, just having that, you know, that competitive, being competitive, it's hard to, you know, to have those juices flowing, especially in all-star, you know, in all-star setting. But you're talking about now when, you know, nobody is doing, you know, we're not doing anything. So I think we're looking to compete, you know, how fast we can get up to the sink to wash our hands, man. We, I mean, we're competing in, in with everything, uh, you know, around this house. <laughs> I'm who's, who's the first, who's, who's the first to, to make it to the ice box and to the couch and back. You know what I mean? It's just like, we want to compete at, at, yeah. at all costs. <laughs> but you also got a house of, all your girls are six feet tall and little Larry's like six, four now. So like, you got a house full of athletes now, man. <laughs> and we, we got to compete, man. We we have to compete. It's like my, my little one, my young one, she's playing volleyball now. So it's like, she was just getting that, you know, that little juice going and then it was it was cut short, man. And how, how, old, how old is she now? She's 10. Oh, that's so funny. My 11-year-old, same thing. She don't like any sports. She just started playing volleyball, and she's good at it, like naturally good at it. So she's like devastated because, every, because like all these club teams came and approached us, and they were like, can she play? And she really felt it because they were like, it was cool. It was cool to see her finally, because basketball, she's terrible. Softball, she was terrible. Golf, she was terrible. Like volleyball, she was naturally good at it, and she felt like, okay, I'm actually good at something now. That's that's the same story, man. She was winning, like she was winning. She was getting confidence. I I like volleyball because it brings the, it brings the girls together. I mean, whether they yeah. make you know a great player, they make a mistake, they're always coming in. They huddle up in the middle. They salute each other. So that's you know that's what brought me to it. And she was you know she she loves it. That's awesome, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so Jared, you probably get asked about this uh, a lot, but um, your 2002 national championship game, you know, you were the propelling force on a team that made a, a really cool run in the, the tournament. I'm, I'm a full disclosure. I am a Maryland alum and fan. So I, I was one of the Damn few it. times I rooted against you, but uh, <laughs> you beat Duke in, in a really good Duke team. And, and that's yeah. almost better than a Maryland win. You know, what would have been like if, if that run had been taken away from this kind of situation? Uh, you know what, man, apart from me, uh, I was only a sophomore and L can speak on this too. You love your university. But whenever you're going to school with the primary focus of becoming an NBA player, and we, me and L both were like hometown guys, you want to try to increase the brand of your university. But it would have been devastating, but we weren't that good. And I know that sounds crazy. We got there on a run. It wasn't like we were the number one seed or I was a senior. If I didn't have a chance, I still would have gone to the NBA my legend as far as in my hometown would have been diminished, but it wouldn't have, have affected a whole lot for me personally. I couldn't imagine being a senior, man. I couldn't imagine being a number one seed and like this was our one chance to win a national title or this was my last chance to play college basketball. That would have been devastating, you know? Like, and L was kind of similar to me. Like, you went to your school, you helped your school to a better place, but your goal was to be an NBA player. Yeah, man, we were just uh, talking about the the year we played in, in, in the tournament and playing against UMass and then obviously losing uh, to the champion, which was Kentucky. It just brought back so many memories. Like, it yep. brought back, you know, the, the travel preparations that we had. It brought back uh, yep. who was, you know, who would actually make it to the game. You know, we were in Atlanta, so it's like, you know, it brought back all of those memories as far as to what, you know, what that actual journey went through. I mean, yep. what that actual journey was. So it's 
I mean, I, I feel for those guys that missed out. But like you're saying, if, if you have a bigger, um, you know, a, a bigger picture, a bigger calling, you know, especially as, as an underclassman, you know, you're able to make those adjustments faster than, you know, a senior per se, obviously. But, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to play, you know, in the tournament. And I'm, I'm so, you know, sad for those guys that did get that opportunity to, you know, to, like Jay said, you know, to build that legend of what a run can do for you. I mean, you just, it's incredible what, you know, four games, five games can do for you for your entire life. I mean, that can set yeah. you up, you know, for life. So it's, it's sad, but again, you know, as the world turns, man, we got to keep pushing. Yeah. And, I, and you know, the, one of the hardest parts for a lot of the seniors is even when you lose your last game, like, you're like, all right, man, that was, you know, that was a heck of a run. That was it. The anticipation of even, like, the conference tournaments. There were so many seniors that didn't get that. They didn't even get – there was no closure. It was like you wake up one day and, you're like, your college career was over. At least if you see, like, the clock winding down, you're able to hug all your teammates. You're able to hug and do that. And even, like, at the end of school, you still go play intramurals. You still go play at the local gym. They didn't get any of that, man. It was like, basketball's over. Get off campus. So that, that would, to me, would be the hardest part of being a senior is not getting the chance to say goodbye to every single person that meant so much to you throughout your career. For sure. And I think that's a, a pretty good segue into the, the next thing I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, obviously, you both ended up, Jared, you were directly drafted by the Wizards, and, and Larry, you uh, signed as a free agent there pretty early on in your career. Um, so you guys were both teammates there. One of your former teammates made the news a little bit today. Uh, you know, Jerry Stackhouse came out and said that he, <laughs> I'm sure you guys have seen this, right? Uh, that that he kind of wishes he had never played with MJ because uh, he felt like he was the better player at that point and things kind of ran through MJ a little too much. I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this. <laughs> man, <laughs> I love Stack, man. Like, I'm also extremely scared of Stack. So, I, listen, man. <laughs> Whatever he feels, whatever he feels, man, I support it. MJ's my guy. I don't know why Stack would come out and say that right now. But, hey, you know, to each his own. But I'm not – I'll let L tackle the first part of this one. And then, cause, mm-mm, Stack ain't getting me. I, I felt the same way, man. I, I, I love Stack. Like, Stack's my guy. Um, we, we connect with some of – just a level of just like understanding of like where he came from and how hard it was. You know what I'm saying? This is family, this family upbringing. But when you talk about, you know, in the, in the basketball space of, you know, the, the best or the greatest to ever do it, like I'm taking a back seat. I, I, I know that it's like in, in hindsight right now, we talk about, you know, just how you want your career to end and what sort of things you want you know, mixed into your into your career as far as whether it's scoring points, whether it's winning titles, whether it's first team all NBA. I mean, those things are, you know, when we look back, we say, you know, we wish we had the opportunity or we wish we would have accomplished these goals. So different scenarios and different situations throughout the league, whether it be teammates, coaches, general managers, presidents, owners, all of that stuff understands it, it comes into play. But when you have an opportunity to you know, rub shoulders and mix and mingle, uh, play the basketball game, which him, you know, didn't create the basketball game, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, it's a situation for me, man. Where I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pass up an open shot. I passed up many open shots to pass to him. Like, I, bro, I know I did, but you I had to. You won't, you won't tell the story. I'll tell the story. 
L was averaging 17, five and five, man. L was starting and we weren't whatever, but L couldn't make a pass off his down screen. Swear to God, this is the exact, and it's not a, it's not a knock on anybody. And I, I say this, this isn't a knock on L, this is a knock on T. Lou, it's a knock on M. But L had a hard time getting the pass to where M wanted it off this pin down. T. Lou was used to the triangle system and he could make the pass. Bro, we came into practice one day and they were like, Larry, you're not starting no more. T. Lou, you're in. And to Larry's credit, he was upset. He was frustrated, but he's never said nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you understood that that's part of the game. Like, the greatest player ever wants the ball at this time, and this is going to help him be a better player. So, like, you, it's basketball, bro. Like, Larry, like, Eddie Jordan. Eddie Jordan didn't want me to shoot. If I would have had Mike D'Antoni earlier in my career that, like, opened it up, like, if you have Mike D'Antoni that lets you do what you did. So, yeah, man, if it was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. So it's it's tough to come out and talk about, you know, 20 years ago what we would have done. I, I, I don't I do not do that, man. Like, I had a good career. I have a wonderful life. So I don't I don't carry that kind of ambition or that kind of animosity. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I sacrificed. We all had to sacrifice. But, I mean, that's the guy. Like, if you're going like to sacrifice Like I said, like, right anybody, now, bro, you pick up, if, if you pick up the him. phone and you call MJ, he answers. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I'll sacrifice a year of my life, like, for that, man. Like, that's pretty big time. Yeah. It probably helps, too, for both of you guys being being younger relatively and knowing that he probably didn't have, like, a ton of years on the team. If you had, like, seven, eight years of that ahead of you, it might be a little tougher to deal with. But when it's a I don't limited know, man. Thing, like, like El said, man, it's still, it's still Michael Jordan, man. Like, you know. But that's also what makes Stack such a good competitor, man, is, like, you couldn't tell Stack nothing. Like, he knew how good he was, and he proved it, man. He played – after those years, he played another, like, 10 years, didn't he, L? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stack, Stack's the guy, man. Stack's one of those guys that I look at as, like, I don't necessarily talk about, you know, many mentors or, or teammates that, you know, that yeah. you know they kind of fostered, you know, those early relationships. But Stack is one of those guys for me. Like, I can call Stack right now and be like, man, what's up? I'm going through this, so let's talk about this. And, and he'll answer, and we'll have those conversations. So it's not any, you know, sort of slight on anybody, but if we're talking, and that stuff is in the public, so we all have to make a comment on it. And I'm yeah. I'm taking the back seat, every, you know, every time. Yeah, I'm the same on that one. And like I said, and I, I'll say that I'm not, I'm not scared of many of my teammates. I was scared of Charles Oakley. I was scared of Jay Stackhouse and Larry Hughes. <laughs> those are the three, <laughs> the three people I'm scared to be fair to him, like that's the clickbait piece that people will pull out of this. Like the, the full thing was just, yeah. hey, you know, at that point in my career, like I thought like I helped build something in Detroit. And yeah. He was yeah. kind of disappointed about being traded at that point. And, and that's understandable, I think. Yeah. And I mean, you also got to realize now, I didn't read the full context of it. I just saw that part. But it's also a lesson to all of us. Like you got to be so careful what you say at all times, especially right now, because everybody's looking for anything to jump onto. And that kind of leads me into another thing here, too. Um, Bradley Beal was on the Zach Lowe podcast today and, and talked about that, I guess, famous incident from last year where they had a practice that kind of blew up and everybody yelled at everybody. And, you know, he said it ended up being good for them to kind of clear the air and force everybody to, to talk through it. But, you know, it, it was kind of the disappointing part, I think, was that it got out. There's a little different social, social media-wise than when you guys played. But were there times where people just blew up at each other and, and you guys just kind of had to work it out, you know, behind closed doors. <laughs> Brenda Haywood at each time. Every week, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, it's definitely different. Me personally, man, I've never been a fan of team meeting. 
I know team fights and arguments and dust ups are going to happen, but I think I think it divides teams. I don't know how you feel about that, man. I think anytime you have an incident where they're like people start fighting and and you're not on like a championship contending team, but like you heard all the stories and you went through it, L. When when you're on those teams and guys start getting in physical altercations or really yelling, it divides the team, in my opinion. Like it should never get to that point. Yeah, that, I mean, for for me, it's like you know what what sort of you know what sort of blow up or, or you know what what actually happened. I mean, you you get different stories about this happened, that happened, and then you just never know like what the source was. So when you yeah. have like you know team meetings or you know those things that go on within the, within the practice within those lines, it's like those things are for the betterment of the team. And to have a to have a physical altercation, that's a different animal. I mean. Those are some of the things that you, you necessarily don't come back from, um, you know, especially if you're not on a, a necessarily a, a winning team or a championship team, because that's, you know, that frustration is not just about basketball. That's that's some personal uh, feelings that's going on. So those things, you know, those things take take time to, to, to blow over if they ever do. So like Jay said, man, it's if you're having um, constructive conversation and those things are, are related to between the lines, then I'm okay with that. But if we're talking about, you know, playing time and, and personal conversations or he said, she said, or, you know, they don't want you to do it that way, you know, those never end well. And, you know, bad teams usually have those sort of meetings. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, yep. and once that and once that happens, somebody's getting traded, man. Somebody's getting cut or somebody's getting traded. Because it forces your coaching staff and your management to pick a side and and once they pick a side, that means somebody's playing time goes down. That means that somebody's not happy. And that means somebody's getting traded. So uh, you guys were teammates in, in 04, 05. And it was, you know, statistically two of the better seasons that, that both of you guys had. And the team was also really good that year. I, I've told Larry this a bunch, but as a, as a fanboy on this end, like that was actually one of my all-time favorite <laughs> Wizards teams to watch. Just style of play, the way you guys seemed to gel. And what was it about that year and that group that, that made you guys so successful? Man, it was Larry, bro. It was the big three and little two. And Larry left us and he ruined everything. It ruined everything, baby. We would have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Larry left us and he left us in shambles. Absolute shambles. How do you explain yourself, Larry? No, I mean, I, I think that that's a, a great point is that, you know what I'm saying, we we liked each other. Yeah, that's right. We actually, we actually liked each other. We, we had conversations. We hung out. Um, we knew about families and moms and you know what I'm saying we just we kind of knew we we knew each other and we clicked, so it made it a good experience to get out there and have conversations and battle people on the floor. And that's when you know you see the best teams. They had a good relationship off the floor. They obviously have their own lives, but there's a connection that's off the floor. And I, like today, I mean, I still you know from that, those guys on that team. I mean, those are the guys that I'm most connected to. Yeah. You know, those are the guys that you know that I can call. They can call me at any time. You know, to talk about anything, to ask me anything, you know, resources, conversation. So, you know, I love those guys. And, and you know, if we all had to go back and you know, <laughs> do it do it differently, you know, if I had to stay, we would have we would have did damage. Bro, I, you know? I swear, like, I, I don't say this lightheartedly. And I know other people have said it. Brendan said it. I know Gil said it. Larry was the only one that could control Gil. So when Larry left, it was left to like me to try to control Gil. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a good enough basketball player to tell Gil certain things. Larry was a mentor to Gil. He was, you know, a comparable player to Gil. So when he said stuff, Gil had to listen. If I said stuff, even though, I, even though Gil knew I was right, 
he could look at me like, man, shut up, you ain't as good as me. And I was like, you're right, man, I'm not. So <laughs> like, I can't say a whole lot. So it, it was, man, it, it's, it, was a, it was a lesson, I think, to that front office. And they might have even overcompensated in the future of not letting free agents go. You know, they, they really looked at, from then on, I think I was the only free agent that ever left that team. Like the next year I left, and then from then on, they re-signed everybody. Because I think it was a lesson to how the chemistry dynamic of a team is so important and so fragile. Yeah, there, there, I mean, there's a little story there. There's a little story there. So they just got, GA had just got some money, but he was getting ready to come up uh, yep. again. And yep. they knew, you know, we were good friends. They knew, you know, about our backcourt. So I was coming up, I'm like, look, you guys know what type of person I am. You know, I don't get into the back and forth. So let's not, you know, negotiate. Just kind of, you know, let me know what, what you think I'm worth. And then that's, you know, if it makes sense, we'll sign it and we'll go. Yeah. So they took way too long to reach out and give an offer. And that was, you know, that was really the problem is like, you guys didn't value me for what I brought to the table, who I was. So I was taking a hard look now at free agency. Yeah. And the deal Cleveland brought in place, I mean, Washington could have matched that deal, but no. you know, it, was, it, was, it was too late. No, it was. But I said that if you look from then on out, like Ernie did, Ernie re-signed his guys, man. Like he, he made sure that he had his guys locked up from then on out. Like, and it, for me, it was a lesson, man, because early on, I didn't realize how fragile NBA teams were. I didn't realize that, you know, you know L wasn't the most vocal guy. But he could say something, and we all have respect for him for whatever reason. And I was like, damn, man, like, NBA teams are so fragile. Like, because you lose one person, and the whole dynamic of the team changes overnight. Like he said, we go from every single guy hanging out all the time to almost being, like, in different cliques. And it was really weird. It was a weird dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that, that rose into really just, Jay, just like, you know, what's the, the, the biggest, you know, adjustment, you know, that you had to make uh, coming from Indy? you know, and then obviously, you know, making it to the league? Well, it's, you know, a lot of people are, are star players. The NBA was different back then. You didn't come into the NBA and the coach and you have, like now you got 15 coaches, you got 15 players. You had your own coach that told you how great you were all the time that worked out with you twice a day. We came in there, though. We had PJ, Larry Drew, Johnny Bach. Like, <laughs> there wasn't no workout coaches. It was you hitting me, like, let's get in the gym. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't people that actually they cared about you, but they didn't really push you and care about you. So that was my thing that was different was I was the best player and I had a coach at my disposal at all times to work with me to show me stuff. When you come in as a rookie back then, it was you on your own path. I even heard you talk about it like AI was your guy. So you would be like, hey, let's go do this. He'd be like, no, come on, L, let's go do this. So like that kind of it didn't hurt your career, but like think how different your development would have been and maybe quicker. If you did have a coach, be like, man, come on. Because back then it was all veterans. Back then it was MJ grabbing me. It was L grabbing me. It was Stackhouse grabbing me to do these things. I didn't have a coach that was telling me to, like, get in the gym at all times. Like, we were in the gym, but it wasn't like it is now. I mean, that, that, the kids, I mean, I call them kids now. I'm getting old, I guess. But, no, <laughs> they have to understand that advantage that they have at this point you know, from a skill development, just from a, uh, an, an overall thought process of when these kids come in and they have potential, now yep. they have the ability to, to have that potential, you know, nurtured by, you know, an identified coach of somebody that's developing them uh, to be better, you know, later on. So, 
the, the guys that are coming in now have a huge advantage, you know, obviously as times go and as they evolve, but that's one of the things that I think is, is pretty much overlooked, you know, as far as to what, you know, guys come into the league now and what they have access to. Hell yeah, man. Like, bro, could you imagine, like, we came in, Larry Brown wasn't trying to develop you. Like, Larry, like, LB's a Hall of Fame coach, unbelievable, but he doesn't know who Larry Hughes is. He don't care who Larry Hughes is, because Larry Hughes helped him win right now. I'm coming in, you know, Michael Jordan wants to win. It's his last year. The Collins trying to get a contract extension. Like, they're not trying to develop Jared Jeffries into being this. How can I plug him in to being a playoff team? Like, that's that was the biggest difference that I saw is there was no developing. There was, how do I put this guy in a spot to win right now? And not that it stunts your growth, but you don't expand your, you didn't expand your game the way the player, man, if I would have come out shooting threes back then, bro, it would have been a, I probably would have been a better shooter long-term for my career, but I wouldn't have played. They'd have been like, man, get over here and sit down next to us, man. Like, we don't need that. I look at both of you guys as as two players that probably could have benefited from being, you know, 10 years later in the way the game's played now. And, and you know, Larry, being able to play both guard positions and, and defend at a high level, and they could put you on any pretty much anybody. And, and Jared, you know, like they could even put you in a small ball five situation nowadays, the way it's played. What do you guys think about the area you're in versus being a decade later? What would have done for you guys? For me, I, I love it. I mean, for me, I, I love it, man. I, I love it. I think that, you know, the, the style of play that we had to, to endure, it made us, it made us better. It made us, made us better thinkers um, because the paint is completely clogged up. So you have to figure out, you know, a, another way to put the basketball in the hole. Uh, so for me, I'm like, um, like the veterans told me when I came in, man, if my mom would have had me, you know, <laughs> five, ten years. So we all get that. It's just an evolution of the times. And I love the game the way it's played now. But we all hear the same same kind of notes. Yeah, and, I'm, and it's also one of those things, man, that basketball goes in these big cycles and rhythms. Like, there will be a dominant center come along a few years from now that will, you know, there will be a Shaquille O'Neal that will come along. You know, and when, and when the next Shaquille O'Neal comes along, all that small ball is going to stop because this guy is going to be so big and so dominant that when he's putting up 35 points in the paint and he's getting to the line, shooting even six from the free throw line and getting 20 rebounds, it's going to make you put bigs on every team again. There's just – basketball has – there's just a lack of bigs. The generation that L came in, I caught the last part of it. If you go out there on the court and you got Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Lonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo – if you have that era of center come back again, you can't play small ball, man, because those guys were so dominant in the paint. You can shoot all the threes you want. If he's dunking the ball every time and getting every offensive rebound, can't play small ball. So there will be another ebb and flow of basketball. Like, if you look at the 70s, 80s, they were scoring the same kind of points. They played this fast because the ABA players came in and sped the game up. The 90s slowed down because of the Pistons, Knicks teams. And then the NBA changed all the rules to get more scoring. So you see that now. But there will be a change where there will be bigs come back. So who who, who makes that happen, Jay? Who makes that happen? I mean, who's who's in charge of building building these teams? I mean, having the most important role, would it be, is it going to be the general manager that's going to now say, hey, we need to you know pivot into this direction? Is it the president? Is it the owner? You know, is it would the players just dictate that? What What do you feel to dictate that? I think the players. I think, you know, injuries. If Demarcus, like I said, I always said, if it was a fifth, 
But if DeMarcus doesn't get hurt and DeMarcus goes somewhere, you take Nikola Jokic, you take Yusuf Nurkic. Like, you have skilled bigs that can guard different positions, but no one can guard them. You start getting the Nurkic's, the Jokic's of the world, the Marcus Cousins of the world, Joe Embiid's. You get those guys that can avoid injury and can play 70 to, you know, 70 to 72 games a year. Now you have to keep bigs on your bench because you can't put Kevin Durant at the five. You can't put Draymond at the five. You can't go out there as Milwaukee and put Giannis at the five and put him against everybody else because they're going to get in foul trouble, man. They're going to get punished in the paint by these talented bigs that can extend the floor. You always hear it's a copycat league. So if, if somebody has, you know, a lot of success doing it that way, mm-hmm. it seems to be the domino that it takes. Correct. I actually that, Jake, because I'm, I'm wondering if you're going to you know, get back involved in, in the front office, man, and try to sit at one of these tables where you're, you know, the general manager, the president uh, of, of some sort. And then, you know, if that's your, your mindset is to you know, understand where, where the game is, but always looking for, you know, that next flow. So what, what are your thoughts on getting back into the front office? I'm going to get back in the NBA. Um, I love basketball. Um, I think that it's definitely something that I'll never walk away from, never go away from. I did video games for a while. It was awesome. Um, but then the basketball is always my calling. I think the next change in the guard is going to be defensively. And I'm not sure why teams don't do it now, but – Teams could so easily, like, there's no more pressing. Remember, like, we used to do, like, those two and through presses, one and done presses. We actually won the playoff series against Chicago by running a bullcrap matchup zone. Like, and that zone, it was terrible, but they didn't adjust for four straight games. So we won four straight games in the playoffs, like, the second or third time a team would come back from a 2-0 deficit to win a playoff series. I think defensively, it's even more of a copycat league, switching all pick and rolls. Like, the hard hedge is gone now, like, Double teaming is gone. I'm not letting dudes like Trey Young give me buckets, man. I'm going to have whoever your non-shooter is, your non-playmaker, I'm running a big in him every single time. He's not bringing the ball up the court. When the ball goes in his hands again, I'm not letting the pick and roll come. I'm going to take the ball out of your best player's hand, especially if you only got one best player. He will not beat me. So there's going to be a roaming big like I used to do that's going to go up there. So I think defensively is the next progression where you're going to see more and more junk defenses like James Harden's not going to get 40 on me, man. Like, P.J. Tucker got to beat me. And I'm not sure why. And it's not about trapping him. It's about when the ball gets in his hands, just walk somebody out of him, man. Like, and leave that guy alone. Remember, we didn't remember we didn't guard Chris Duhon for a whole series. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you saw uh, basically Trevor Ariza, uh, Trey Young tried to nutmeg him and go through his legs, and Ariza just, like, shoved him into the first row. Like, it just yeah. – guys aren't taking that. The guys no, that take pride in defense. No, I mean, like, like Larry will tell you, we caught, like, the last guard of the generation of – and the NBA has cleaned it up because I'm not saying that you have to hurt players, but, like, the showing players up and, like, all that stuff, man, you knew who to do that to, who not to do that to. And if they even had a guy on their bench, the showmanship is important for the league, but it also – at some point you're going to get back to, like, when everyone's not friends. You're going to get back to rivalries. When like, look, man, we're like, we're not all homies, man. Like right now, so many guys grow up together, play together, play on the same AAU team. Eventually, you're going to get back to these teams that are able to put it together for a long time and have runs together five or six years where they have rivalries, where they have teams that they don't necessarily like. The the Wizards team, obviously, um, Juan Dixon got drafted the same year you did. But 
I was just looking back at your draft class, and there are like nine guys from that draft class that all played for the Wizards the next couple of years. You had Drew Gooden, Nene, yep. Karan Butler, Roger Mason, Darius Sangala, Rasul Butler, Lonnie Baxter. Were you just wow. typing up Washington <laughs> as a stop? Like, <laughs> I guess I guess Ernie loved that draft. Um, you know what, man? That draft, um, when it's all said and done, probably was a very average draft. Um, you know, you had Yao Ming with the foot problems. You had Jason Williams um, get um, unfortunate motorcycle accident. But, you know, there were some players that were very good, consistent players. So I think that having Gilbert at that time and then being able to get John Wall, I think you look for a lot of role players. And I think that's one thing that was kind of consistent is looking for those role player type guys. Yeah, and I'm just looking where D.C. is at, man. When I came from, from Golden State, Basically, to get to the next city, it's it's always an hour and 45, two hour, 15 minute flight. But when you go to the East Coast, you go to Washington, I mean, you can get to, you know, to New York, to Boston. You know, you can get to those places and it's not a, a huge travel burden on you. So I think that that could play, you know, a role in, in guys' decision as well, just you know, unconsciously. Dude, DC, DC should be one of the top five cities in the NBA, like recruiting wise. Like, you, you have to be able to get free agents. Like, D.C. is an awesome city. So I, I still haven't quite figured out why they don't even get looks from free agents, like even recruiting, like like how you – when Obama was president, how you couldn't just get a guy, but like in Obama, fly on Air Force One. I don't know if that's legal, but fly on Air Force One, go pick a dude up, take him to the White House for dinner. Like there's a tax loophole where if you're a resident of D.C., you pay the same taxes at the market you're from. Like the, it has so many advantages. Like you said – you can be anywhere on the Eastern Seaboard in like 45 minutes to an hour. It's just, it's kind of weird that DC isn't more of a destination for people. Sure. So I, I got a, I got a light one for you. In the league, in your time in the league, who's your best bet? And then who's your best rookie? I'm not going to lie. My, probably seriously, my best bet really might have been Stackhouse, dude. Like, I learned so much and he was so crazy. Like, some of the stuff that we would do. He was, I was like, this man is a maniac. Like, he was so crazy. And he could turn it on and off. He could go, remember how I used to sing with him? And if you sang with him out loud, he would just stop singing on stairs. <laughs> Jeremy, I called him Jeremy Stackhouse. <laughs> but you would go to sing with him, and he would just turn and just look at you just mad because he didn't want no one else to sing with him. So he would break out singing. But seriously, like, I learned so much from Stack, and I was so scared of him at the same time. Because uh, I heard the stories about, like, about Leitner. I heard the stories about Jermaine Jackson, about Jerome Williams. And I knew that he would, like, turn on dudes. So I was, so I was scared of him, but I was so intrigued by him. So probably Stack, because I learned a lot from him. My best rookie, probably, no, no lie, man, I had so many rookies. Probably either Jeremy Lin or Landry Fields. Like, those two dudes were awesome, man. And it was fun to be in New York and kind of, like, see them progress and grow. Um, Ish Smith was, like, another one. Like, I, if you would have told me that Ish Smith would be in the NBA right now, you could have bet me a million dollars. I'd have been like, nah, he ain't going to make it, man. Because he was such a bad shooter, greatest kid in the world. But, like, I was like, nah. And the career that he's put together is pretty incredible. What's your answer to that one, Larry? Uh, my my best bet, man, that's a tough one. 
my rookie my rookie is GA uh, Gilbert. Uh, there's a guy, I man. I look at him like a, a, a little brother. I know exactly where he's coming from. I know, you know, I, I know how his mind works. I know how he thinks. I know things yeah. that people just really don't understand. But we we got a crazy connection. And I think it comes from just him being, you know, a young guy trying to figure it out uh, in Golden State. And I think the the vet is probably, I guess, Allen. I mean, Allen. Allen you know, I came in, you know, at, at a, a funny time. We had a lockout, and you know, we couldn't necessarily use the facilities or anything like that. So, you know, my first experience was you know, a vet that made sure that I was good, that I was taken care of, made sure that I, you know, that I was able to eat, made sure that I was able to shop, um, and it, and actually started to live, you know, the the NBA life. Uh, without having you know our checks coming in yet, so that's a guy that I always look to as like you know if I didn't have him, I probably uh, I probably wouldn't have went to Philadelphia uh, before the lockout. So he was a guy that that I leaned on for sure. The time that we're in right now, you know, obviously with you know with no sporting events going on, and obviously these kids and everybody's you know playing at the two K and, and these different games and whatnot. So I know you spent some time in in the esports space. Have you thought about? Mm-hmm. Uh, first, tell me a little bit about the eSports space, and then have you thought about uh, re-entering, re-entering the space? Man, it's such an, an amazing dynamic space, and um, I think the, a lot of focus has been shifted to it right now, especially. But it's also, it's a very difficult market to navigate. Even though the viewership numbers are massive, and people love playing the games, they love watching the games, in order to actually make money is difficult. Like you don't, like we had, you know, we'd have viewership numbers week in and week out that trumped a lot of regional numbers for NBA teams, but to monetize it is difficult. You look at 2K, I mean, 2K has done some of the games on regional, local TV and national, and they're close to the numbers of like some of the NBA games. Like not to say close, they're like a third of the numbers, but this is somebody playing remotely by themselves. You look at the numbers on Twitch and you know, the individual guys can make a lot of money, but the organizations struggle because they're paying the salary of so many different players. I think that in the next few years, someone's going to figure out how to actually make money. But that being said, like MLS teams still lose money. There's still some NBA teams up until four years ago that still lost money. So I think that you have to look at the appreciation value of each individual game because the publishers make, make billions, you know, like, Call of Duty right now is on fire. Like, I mean, it's doing millions of concurrence a day, but it would be hard for an actual individual organization to make the money. So I still do some consulting work for um, different brands that are looking to get in the space, but it is, man, it's it's only going to get bigger and better. Like how many games, like do your kids play games? Not much, man. Not much. Really? My son, I think he, he plays, I think he plays a 2K, uh, okay. but that's, that's really it. Yeah, I mean, it's and then the, the games are so video games are so hard now. They're not like when we play, bro. Like video games now, you got to know how to hit like all twenty buttons, and it's like it's not fun to me. I, I'm, I, I don't know if I got old, but like being able to press all those buttons and then move the move the controller a certain kind of way, and uh, it's too much for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I must be an old cat because man, I rather <laughs> read a book. <laughs> I re- I rather read a book, man. I I'd just rather read a book. I mean, you give me a Nintendo joystick, and that's that's, that's all good. But anything else, we, you got to press with your pinky, and then with your thumb, and then you know spinning around. That's that's tough. 
No, no. It's, and I mean, I had a chance too, just the global market. Like I had a chance to um, work with a bunch of, um, you know, Korean players that were on my League of Legends team and to see how like they would get gifts. So like when you were playing, bro, did, did like girls or anybody ever send you like gifts to the arena? Yeah, for sure. For like sure. expensive gifts? Nah, nah. You, That's you what I said, like, okay. You know, Okay, so I had this I had this kid named Hooney. He's one of the top League of Legends players in the world. Big personality, great kid. Bro, like two or three or four occasions, he got like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and like Chanel gifts to our office from like fangirls. I'm like, how does that happen? Like, and I was paying him like, I was paying him good money. Like I was paying him like high six figures. So I'm like, how am I, how you get money like this and you got girls you like, you don't know her. He's like, nah, is he sent you a Gucci wallet? Said fishy, it's very fishy. <laughs> it's big time. That's what I said. It's big time. I got a couple cards and maybe some flowers here and there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, bro, he got a he got a Louis Vuitton backpack. I said it's got to be knockoff. Bro, he took it to the store with the ID number. It was real. I said, who are your fans and why are they buying you gifts for five thousand dollars? Who are they? Guys, we're in the you, wrong line of work here, guys. We're, we're, we're in the wrong. We're in the wrong business. <laughs> yeah, we're in the wrong business. It's crazy. But 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 you know what, Jay? We got. You know, CJ was talking the other day. You know about the guys who who, um, you know, struggle or the guys that may be struggling during this time. As far as you know, when the checks do dry up, you know, just trying to identify like you know what's the you know what's the percentage of of players you know that are in the league now uh, that are probably either going to struggle, struggling right now, or just during that space of living from check to check, basically. You got, what you think about, you know, that situation as far as players handling their money? I think that it'll be the same percentage. People always drive me nuts when they want to judge athletes because we're one of the only professions that every single dollar that we make is accounted for and is public record and public knowledge. You got billionaires out here that have shell companies that pay themselves minimal amounts, that pay no taxes. Every dollar that we get is taxed because it's public record how much we get paid. And people judge, like, all the players based off that, and that kind of drives me nuts, man. Because I know, I know hedge fund managers that have made hundreds of millions of dollars that make the wrong bet and go broke. But nobody knows those guys' names, so they don't, they don't put public pressure on them. I think that in this situation, because Noah saw it coming, you, you're at such a level of money and opulence from the star NBA players or from the league itself. If they can't put together a fund and allow players to apply to that fund to get money back, why wouldn't they loan the money internally? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do, why do players have to go out to these loan sharks and pay 10, 15, 20, 30% on these loans when they could go to the higher-end players of the league and say, look, dude, all you guys chip in $3 million, you'll get this money back plus interest. Guaranteed. Like, since seems like a no-brainer to me. Like, the CJs of the world making $30 million. You, you got $2 million bucks. Dame, you got $2 million bucks. Everybody put in $2 million, pull together $100 million, help the young players out. They're guaranteed contracts. So as soon as the NBA starts up again, that money is going to go right back into this fund and come out to you at 3 or 4 or 5%. 10.5% at the most. So you're doing a service to your fellow player. You're making a little bit of money, but you're not price gouging your players. That's what I think the Players Association and the league should do. It should be an internal fund created by the players in the league that's easily done. 
and and that's not a new concept because I remember talking to you years yeah. ago about that same sort of concept. Whether it's you know in this time of of the virus, I mean that's been something that you actually talked about you know a, a few years ago. Yeah. And, the, and the players are making so much. I mean the salaries are so high now. Uh, when the times that we played, that actually makes a lot more <laughs> sense than it did you know three, four, five years ago. Yeah. So you know, I, I think that that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, like. Here, like here, here we are, and everybody's gonna struggle, man. Like this is, this isn't just for the first time ever. We're all Americans. Everybody that we know will be affected by this virus in one way or the other. Financially, small businesses, even large corporations. You look right now, man. AMC theaters, Cheesecake Factory, Neiman Marcus. They're not making it through this, and they employ thousands of people. The league's gonna be affected by this. So, like, you're gonna have a huge percentage of young players that everyone will say, oh, he makes a million dollars a year. How could that happen? Well, Neiman Marcus makes billions of dollars a year. How did they not see this happen? So let's not let's not yeah. criticize young kids and individuals that never saw this coming, because nobody did. Yeah, because at, at this point, I, I was talking to somebody the other day. I mean, it's like there's no VIP. Everybody is general admission. Like there's no <laughs> like nobody is is outside of the scope of, of who this is affecting. So it's like yep. There's no more VIP. We're all general admission. We're all trying to figure it out. And I think that those guys, you know, within the league are going to need some support. And hopefully it can come internally, like you said, so we don't get hit, uh, you know, with those different rates and things like that, too. Yeah, for sure. And, and yet for the, the even the G League call-up kind of guys or the veteran minimum, minimum guys like that, that money goes quick when you have agents and managers and financial folks and taxes First and family. All, if, and... If, any, if, if you're a player right now, in your first couple of years in the league and your agent doesn't send you that feedback that he took this year and get on the back end next year, he's a bad agent, bro. Like he's not, he's not looking out for you. Like he, he should have enough unless, you know, all these big agencies, they should be looking out for their players too, man. Like this is the time for, I think Mark Cuban said it best. This is the time that we're going to look back on and you're going to see how good your agent is, how good your, your financial advisor how good the company and the organization you work for, like who steps up right now and does the right thing. I know that you, um, we can't be necessarily out in the space. And I know one of the things that you love to do is you like to get out there and fish and you don't get out there and fish with just, it's not just you. We got a whole gang of people that you have on the <laughs> boat fishing with you, man, and having a good old time. Man. So how, what's, what's going on with the fishing and, and everything right now? Man, MJ finally moved into my realm, man. MJ finally started fishing. All right, so he got a he got a brand new eighty foot Viking boy. I mean, this boat's bad. So I was flying to Florida with the, we going fishing. We had all these plans, and then COVID came along and derailed all that. We had plans to go to the, the Dominican. We were going to the Bahamas together. So fishing right now is on a on a temporary hold, and I mean it just kills me because that's my chance to like get outside and get away from it, and it makes it a whole lot more fun when it's an eighty foot boat. And, and MJ, you you rolling around with MJ? You rolling oh, around with, with the with the black cat? With the black cat, I was the black cat, and I was and I was finally, I was finally better than him or something. Like I'm a better fisherman than him. Like I was like, yeah, like I'm finally better than him or something. And then this thing came along. But I mean, I can't wait, man. I I was supposed to go to Panama the end of May. We had to cancel that trip. I was supposed to go to Cabo. And I was going to I was going to win, win a music conference because uh, you know I love electric music too. So I was going like for a whole week in Miami. I was going to go to Ultra. So I, it's just sitting here at my house, man. You know that's not me. So I've been 
I'm struggling right now. Is this ain't this ain't no fun? <laughs> this ain't no sure. fun at all. For sure. Well, well, hopefully you can get back to the scene soon, man. I hope you can get back to it. I will, dude. Jared, thanks again, man. We really appreciate this, and uh, good luck with everything. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again, hopefully. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, Jake. All right, buddy. All right, everybody. That was our interview with Jared Jeffries, former uh, former Wizards player and teammate of Larry's. Larry, what what'd you take away from that? How was it? That's I, I loved it, man. That's that's one of my guys, man. When you you come into the league and you know, you, you know, there's not a, a NBA city in the place that I'm from. So it's when you get to these cities and you can make connections like brothers and you can build those relationships, uh, you know, using basketball that, that can last a lifetime. And that's that's one of my good guys, man. That's one of the guys, like I said, that, you know, he can call me tomorrow, tell me to get on a plane. He can call me tomorrow, tell me he needs a, a, a wire transfer. Uh, he needs a, a conversation, he needs to hear. Uh, and that's one of the guys, man, that, that I wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone for. Uh, and make sure he gets what he needs. And that's good to have him, you know, good to have him stop in on us, man. And I appreciate it. And, you know, originally we were only going to go 15, 20 minutes, but obviously folks, when they're hearing this, we're going to be well past that. So that, that's a credit to you too, that the guys are willing to come on and, and take their time and, and want to do this with us. So appreciate you, uh, you setting that up and folks can, can look forward to, to more good guests and interviews like that, especially while we, uh, we don't have actual basketball to talk about for the time being. For sure. All right, everybody. Uh, that was this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Again, as usual, remember to check us out. Uh, you can download us anywhere that, that podcasts are available. So, so please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And check us out uh, on Twitter. You can find Larry and I both. But our, our account for the podcast is Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V in Wizards. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely line some more of these up and, and hit us up on social media and let us know if there's anybody in particular you want us to talk to or, or topics that that you want us to hit with those guys. So uh, until next time. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, appreciate you. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done